there's a burden, not just on teachers to preach the truth, but also a burden on the seeker to actually want God. What type of God do we want? Perhaps we're in a society that wants a certain type of God, and that God can't be found. And perhaps not only is the church presenting a false representation of the Lord, but if that's the one that people are wanting, uh, they can't find him because he's not actually there. Welcome to the Christ Church Jerusalem podcast, where we seek to gain a better understanding of the Hebraic context of Scripture. We're delighted that you're joining us this week for our latest Bible study episode. Our aim is to equip our listeners to wrestle with and deepen their understanding of the Word of God with a unique perspective that we bring from Jerusalem. Thanks for tuning in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, brothers and sisters, to Christ Church Jerusalem for our evening Bible study. We are in the book of Amos. Tonight, we'll be studying chapter 8. And uh, from wherever you're jo joining us, whether um, you're uh, in Israel or overseas and uh, in a different time zone or just listening via podcast, then uh, you're actually part of our community in some unique little way, um, which is by the Holy Spirit. And that is an absolute blessing to be able to be a family wrapped around these computers, but also definitely entrenched around the word and uh, and his kingdom. So that's delightful. So welcome, everybody. I hope that you're blessed by this study. hope that you'll be able to contribute to, to, uh, to our conversation. Uh, you can write in any of your prayer requests, and we will indeed pray because that is our, our delight for us. We're in the presence of God. So let's acknowledge his presence by giving him the glory and uh, opening up in prayer. And our sister Elizabeth will lead us in prayer. Holy Father, we come before you today with open hearts and minds asking you to give us more of yourself through your servant Aaron. Father, thank you for this community that is worldwide. Thank you for your power. And we praise you in advance for the new nuggets of truth that we will have today to take us through another week. We give you praise and glory for all that you are going to do through us, through your servant. Father, may we shed your light in our areas so that all may know who you are. We pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit through the precious work of our living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you. So let's read Amos chapter 8 as we continue. Amos chapter 8. Now I'm reading from an NIV purely because that's the one I had sitting in front of me at my desk. All versions are really okay. Amos 8. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. So what do you see, Amos? He asked. Basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales. Buying the poor with silver and the needy with a, for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings from the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I'll never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then it will sink 
like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I'll make the sun go down at noon, and I'll darken the earth in, the, in broad daylight. I'll turn your religious festivals into mourning, and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I'll make that time like mourning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I'll send a famine throughout the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, stretching, searching for the word of the Lord, but they'll not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men, they'll faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they'll fall and they'll never rise again. Oof. The roar of the Lord from Zion. It's tough. It is tough. All right. So based on a literal reading of the text, which is our first look before we go in, in depth and look for its uh, spiritual meanings, is there anything there that jumps out at you? Anything there that concerned you? Anything there that stands out? The thing that jumped out for me was the... Um... What will happen at noon? It's it's like the crucifixion. Yeah, where the sun got went dark. The sun will go down. Uh, I will darken the earth in broad daylight, and I will turn your feasts into mourning. This is this is a foretelling of of the, the crucifixion of Jesus. Nice, Vida or David. What oh, what jumped out at you there? It's again, it says in that day, and it's just a question, is that day the day of the Lord? That's always referenced through the Old Testament, the day of judgment. So I find it very interesting what uh, Kate just said, because she's linking it to the crucifixion. And in my mind, I linked it to his, the Christ's second coming. Okay. So the, oh, oh, yeah. But I find it quite interesting how Kate linked it to the crucifixion, because I can also see that. That's like interesting, yes, because then what is that day? Which one is exactly. it? Yeah. yeah. The, the text is more than just an eclipse. It suggests the going down of the sun. This is uh, suggests a totally supernatural heavenly phenomenon, which to me recalls uh, Jesus' uh, Olivet Discourse of the signs in the heavens, mm. the sun and the moon. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like Joel. It, it links me to Joel quite a bit. Right. That's right. A lot of the prophets will talk about crazy things that go upon in the heavens that are just completely abnormal. Bunch of hands raised. Let's go. Um, okay, Moti, you've got, you wanted to say something, I know. Rabbi? Yeah, I mean, I was going to say something about the Bayom Hahu. Who was asking that question? Rida was asking, right? This Bayom Hahu is basically the coming of the Messiah. You know, there's a book called Sidur, we pray three times a day, and there, there's a Pasuk repeated that on that day God will be one, and his name will be one. It's basically about the day of judgment when the Messiah comes, but that symbolizes that final day of his coming. Of course, the first coming, second coming, these are the questions that are not only we are dealing with, also the Jewish people are dealing with about this Messiah ben Yosef, Messiah uh, ben David, you know, some Chabadnik can say this, the Fredrika Rebbe was the Messiah Ben Yosef, so therefore this Rebbe is the Messiah Ben David. It's, it's not only our problem that we are dealing with, but just this is the final day of the final coming of the Messiah. So, so it's talking about a finality, is essentially finality. trying to say, yep, some sort of like the day. Okay. Uh, Teresa, London. It links me back to Zechariah, Zechariah 12. Where in Amos it says um, the days are coming, da da da, send a famine, and then it says um, no before that. Sorry, it says I'll make it a time of mourning for an only son. And there's more about the lamentation before that, and it reminds me so much of Zechariah 12, where they say you know there will be so much weeping. I think it's in Hadad, Hadad is it Ramon, and they will mourn as for a for an only son. 
and that's a, a last day scenario, isn't it? Or certainly an end time scenario. Um, and it just seems almost similar, similar wording. It does. Now let's remember the context. We're actually preaching to northern Israel, who has not yet been taken into captivity, which is about to be taken into captivity. Mm. And we've just we've said several chapters about you're going to get taken into captivity. And then all of a sudden, there's this burst of apocalyptic end of days scenario. And so there's a there's a an interesting way where God is looking at the situation that is that is occurring in in the the, the modern day. 3,000 years ago or two and a half thousand years ago of, of, of ancient Israel. And, and then also saying, well, it's going to be kind of the same when, uh, when the end comes, the big end mm. comes, um, which is very interesting. Um, yes, Andrew puts in chat, I will never forget anything they have done. Yeah, our hope is that with repentance, our sin will no more be remembered. Yeah, I found that for me, Andrew, that was also one of the things when I read this passage that really jumped out because God has promised in, in some of the more beautiful prom uh, prophecies about redemption that he will remember our sins no more, which is really nice. And then yet here, there's something that has so got God angry where he says, I'll never forget this. You know, that's that's powerful because God obviously cannot forget. And he goes on forever, uh, which is a rather, you know, most of us would rather have most of our sins. We don't want to talk about them at all, ever. But um, imagine if someone's going to remember them, mainly God, forever and ever and ever. How embarrassing is that? Pretty bad. Okay, a couple of other hand raised. Let's honor the hands. Velma, Ireland. Um, you kind of just said what I was going to say about the the passage was like almost three time periods in one passage. It's a near disaster for Israel. Then you have the first crucifixion and then you have the end times all rolled into one piece of literature, if you know what I mean. It's one of those passages you find every now and then in the Bible that covers multiple time periods. Yeah, that's right. It seems, well, in, in the, um, often in the ancient world and in the Bible, time collapses and the same, the same language, the same event can be used as in, in multiple different time periods to say exactly the same thing occurring on exactly the same day in exactly the same way, uh, which is a very, very, um, I don't know if it's unique, but I would I would argue that it's unique without even doing any research on it. That uh, this is a very uh, a, a thing that God does when He speaks. He somehow, being outside of time, can collapse it to one. So we have multiple time passages being used. We've got Amos talking to ancient Israel, warning them about exile. At the same time, we've got images of crucifixion, and we've got also um, the time of the the time of the end, the last day being also discussed here so uh damaris uh sunny canada if i believe um i was uh, struck by verses 11 and 12 where there would be a famine in the land but uh, it would be with uh, the word of the lord and of course in uh, verse 12 people will stagger from sea to sea and from north to east uh, running back and forth, seeking the word of Adonai, but they will not find it. And that, if we look at that from a personal or even a, you know, a, a corporate level, what will that be like to not be for to have the whole world not being able to hear or or find the word of the Lord? I, I think that I can't even imagine what that will be like. It, it, I don't think anybody here or anybody listening could imagine what that is like. We all join in with the Maros going, that sounds absolutely frightening and terrible. So here's the next question. How did it happen? Whose fault is it that the word of the Lord is no longer able to be found? Definitely our fault. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Well, it's the way of the world right now, isn't it? 
Yeah, Moji just said, it's our fault. <laughs> we we stopped preaching. We stopped teaching the truth. Somehow we dropped the ball. Somehow we let our bishops off the hook. Somehow we, you know, we 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 weren't we weren't showing up at synods. Somehow we let uh, complete idiots teach our um, Bible school uh, um, students uh, to get their MDivs. Somehow, you know, we dropped the ball on this, and and at the end of the day. People couldn't find the truth anymore. Isn't that sad? Even if they were looking for it, they couldn't find it. I mean, um, how, how, how often is it now joked? Oh, you went to seminary, but we don't say seminary, we say cemetery. Right? Oh, you studied seven years in cemetery? Yeah. You know, and I was like, how did we get to that stage where, you know, why are we not calling these guys to account and saying everyone who's now a teacher in a seminary, you're fired. Right, and we're going to appoint some actual real believers who are actually going to teach the next batch of uh, of people. And this is across denominations. There's not don't don't just point a finger at one denomination. It's all of our fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, but isn't it interesting? God God has this prophecy where he's he looks at a world and he goes, "Oh my gosh, they people can't find the truth." I mean, this is terrible. And um, and then of course, whose fault is that? You know, well, it's certainly not the Lord's. Right? REA comments. Israel, sunny Israel is here. Not just Israel, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, this passage about hunger and searching for the word of the Lord uh, to me raises a question, a, a serious question, in that we have God's promise that when you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. That's Deuteronomy and, 4, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, the message is within Jeremiah as well, at least. Well, okay. uh, I don't, uh, maybe not unique, but it certainly expresses God's heart, like the man who asked of Jesus, you know, if you want, you can heal me. And Jesus says, I want. So, so God is not unwilling to be found for those that search for him truly. And it suggests to me a possibility, I I couldn't say this dogmatically because it's not explicitly in the text, but it's perhaps suggests that these are people from Samaria, from the surrounding, to whom he is still prophesying. They have gone the way of Baal and the golden calf and everything else we know about uh, Bethel and the northern kingdom, and it's not working for them. So they want to get a little bit of Grace, gracious comfort on the side from their recollection of that good God in Jerusalem. But perhaps they are not uh, fulfilling the conditions by forsaking their wicked ways. Mm, that's good. So that's, uh, it's, yeah. There's a, there's, there's, therefore, there's a burden, not just on teachers to, to preach the truth, but also a burden on, uh, on, on the seeker to actually want God. What type of God do we want? Perhaps we're, we're in a society that wants a certain type of God. You know, and, uh, and, he, and that God can't be found, uh, which is an interesting thought. And perhaps, uh, you know, the, the, not only is the church presenting a false representation of the Lord, but if that's the one that people are wanting, uh, they can't find him because he's not actually there, um, which is you know, very multifaceted multifaceted nuances here in the in the text very interesting all right uh teresa you had a hand raise yes i did um well actually just as you were speaking then i was thinking about jeremiah 31 where it verse was from 31 to 34 really where it talks about the new covenant and the law being written on their hearts and i don't know where that is in relation you know to the sort of time timing of all of it but he does say that he will put the law on their hearts now you know is that at an earlier time or a later time does that hold because that has to be part that seems to be part of it and the other thing is just going back one when we were talking about why is there a famine you know i think we have trampled on the word certainly over here we just you know it's like you trample on a cigarette end you see people doing it and trampling, you know, and really rubbing it so it sort of breaks completely. You know, it's quite, I'd be, I would, I, I'm definitely seen as quite quaint and old fashioned 
if I say to some secular people, certainly, that I believe in the Bible, I, I believe in the word of God. I mean, that's because it's old fashioned. And, and wouldn't I just say that being an older person? And um, because um, it doesn't fit our current society. And, you know, that's the way a lot of people seem to think. I mean, it's probably worse than that because I don't mix a huge amount with, uh, with those kinds of people. But that is terrible because actually, where would you go and talk about the word? I think if you go socialising in the centre of London, you know, certainly I have some friends who God never gets mentioned, not to mention his word. Mm -hmm. That's, that is also a famine, isn't it? It's just it not there. He's not there. Yeah. And that is really, that's tragic. And that's a change. That's changed since I was a child. Mm -hmm. No, so yeah, those, those are my two contributions. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. The, um, uh, when I was in England just, just recently, um, then um, I was with a brother and he, he would look at this passage and say, you know, how'd the famine start? Well, it started when people, you know, really desired trading 24-7. <laughs> I mean, have a look, you're either, you know, people were saying, when will the Sabbath be over so we can start buying and selling again? I and mean, they had absolutely no love for the idea of resting in the Lord. You know, all they want to do was just get back, back into making money. And not only was it just back into making money, it's back into making corrupt money, right? It was, uh, let's get back to trading so I can rip his off again. And, um, and sort of very, very wrong intention. So it was, uh, it was leading people very much into, the, into, into a famine. And so um, he would say, well, I think, I think the whole problem of our society is once we had Sunday trading. <laughs> you know, once we, once we obviously we're in England, um, you know, coming from Australia, the same sort of idea. Once we took a day where we just uh, made, made everything 24-7, we went downhill. Living in Israel, I mean, we live in a, in a country that, um, you know, on Shabbat, most shops do shut. It's true. There are places where you can still go buy and sell. It's true. Um, different, there's a different, other different cultures running around here. But for the majority of the country, it stops. And uh, oddly enough, those businesses still make money. You don't have to go 24-7 to, uh, to, 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 to have a full bank account. And, um, and, and so it's quite a lie to think that you do. But, uh, but So, yeah, we, we seem to have lost something when, uh, when, we, when we gave the Sabbath away. And, uh, and here you end up with this incredible dearth, this massive famine um, for the word of the Lord. Not for goods and services. We've got lots of those. We're trading 24-7. What are we really lacking? We're lacking uh, a spirituality. All right. Uh, Janet, sunny Canada. Yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of intrigued by why people start to seek the word of the Lord. Um, well, there were two things. First, you know, it's it, it indicates they're going to stagger. Is there a spirit of delusion or deception that comes upon them because they've, you know, gone so far that way? But there's something that rises in their heart that they do want. They 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 realize what they're really hungry for. And are we living in those sort of times now where people, or for some reason or other, whatever's happening around them, um, physically or in conflict or whatever, that people are, they're going to feel really hungry for, for truth. And, and the staggering part, I'm not sure. Um, and are they does looking- anybody, Does anybody, um, like what you're talking about, Janet, does anybody relate or have an experience of somebody who's hungry for the word now? Do you know somebody? Like here, here, the prophet is sort of suggesting that there's, you know, the days are coming when, um, when, when people do look for the word and they can't find it. Have you? Do you know people like that? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. There are people, but you know, they don't walk around and say, "Give me the word of God." Give me. You know, sure, when you talk sure. to them, when you talk to them, especially in Israel, who are uh, sick of this religiosity all over the city and all over the country. 
So they say, what's the truth? There cannot be three, four truths. So when you really talk to them in a personal level, there's a need. But you need to just open that box. You know, it's, it's, that's the thing. I don't know what the pasuk means by like this seeking for the God. Maybe it means something else, but I don't think it means like people would be walking on the street like zombies and give you the So I don't think it's there, but there are people. There are many people. Yeah, we, I, I, we have some people that have been hanging around our uh, compound at the moment uh, that, yeah, that they're seeking. They're not believers, but they can't stop coming. Isn't that nice? There's something about the place where that, that, that's attractive to them. They come and they, they want to, they come to Bible studies. They come to the services. They come to just sit and chat. They, because there's something and they know it and they know they're missing it. And, uh, and they're, they're, so that's great. So at the moment, praise the Lord, uh, there's, we're not, in, we're not yet to that point where, um, the famine has started, uh, is here. However, having said that, I'm sure if we looked at the broader perspective in the West, we might um, come to a different conclusion that um, people are going to church and they're just not getting fed. David and Orvida. I was just thinking on this famine, it makes keeps making me think of what Lord Jesus said, when I return, which links it to the day of the Lord, will I find faith in the earth? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So to me, it's quite interesting that Lord Jesus said that. And I've always pondered it, but I can kind of see how it could fit in here, where there is the word is, is basically there's a dearth of the word. And so faith is also just disintegrated. Okay, nice. And horrible at exactly the same time, you know. Um, yeah, what, what an interesting question of Yeshua to ask. When I come back, am I actually going to find faith on this planet or what are you guys going to be up to? Yeah. Ouch. All right, Mordecai, you know, you still have a hand raised. You got some more comments or? Yeah, I, I, was, I, I wanted to say something about what you say about the clergy. Okay. Uh, I totally agree with it. But at the same time, we have to realize that this clergy man or woman in this case, they are just human beings. You know, we cannot just expect them to just give us what we want. Like, you cannot bring a kid and say, make this kid a good Christian or like, you know, good Jew in this case. Everybody knows what Shema Israel is. You know, we say it in, the, in Christchurch, right? In the morning and in the evening. But that's prayer is two parts, like one, to, one together, the whole part. It says you are supposed to teach this to your children. You're supposed to talk about this when you lie down, when you raise, when you sit down, when you walk on the streets. So you are to talk about the word of God and inherit this to your children and practically show it. Like now Pesach is coming, right? The kids will be asking questions. God tells Israelites in this case, or whoever celebrates Pesach, when your kid asks you the meaning of this. So if this is actually one commandment, but applies to two persons, if the father doesn't know what that means, he cannot teach to his son. So that means you should know it plus teach to your son and practically show it. Uh, there are many pastors, of course, even their sons and daughters are not coming to church, which is a said, I'm not judging or criticizing, because I think the church is lacking in education and also putting this in a practical manner. Like Judaism is a very practical religion. Uh, you gather three times a day. There are things I'm not comparing, but you know, uh, we, should, we should apply all these teachings of Yeshua Mashiach to our lives, uh, both theologically, both practically, and we should pass it to the next generations. At this, by passing it, by also show them how we are applying these things to our lives. You know, Jesus says, "If two, three meet in my name, I'm in their midst." I was talking to this to someone. It's actually in a, in the book called Pirkei Avot, uh, the Ethics of the Father. Something similar. It says, "Wherever two and three meets and exchanges the word of the Torah, word of God." The Shekhinah comes upon them. And uh, this is a positive comment, right? There's a negative comment. If you do not share the word of God while you eat and drink at the table, it's also, it's the, the rabbinic teaching says that this is like you are eating a korban, the sacrifice, the sacrifice to a dead idol. So this is very important to share the word of God to each other. I'm not, I'm not talking about grabbing a Bible and coming to Christ's compound and start uh, preaching everybody, but in a more personal level, 
may you might call it a chevruta. You can have someone to study with. Or you can attend the Bible studies. At the same time, you can teach it to your children and also apply those things to your life. And then there, there, there will be no famine of, for the word of God because people will see it. We will be imitating God, right? Imitating God. Imitating God, actually, it's, a, it's the eighth positive commandment in, in the Sefer Mitzvot that's written by a big rabbi, Rambam. It says, God is merciful, you too be merciful. God is pious, you too be pious. God is generous, you too be generous. So bringing heaviness and uh, holiness to this world. We can't just accept, ex expect a bishop or a priest or a deacon to make everything. You know, like, what about your part? Yeah, what about your part? They, everybody's talking about charity, and then when it comes to giving, it's a big thing, right? They say, oh, there's church, there's this mercy fund. And I, I, I told this to uh, a tourist who came with Shoresh, I told him, actually, God is blessing you by bringing you an opportunity to give, because you are becoming a partner in God's work. This is not like you are giving for God. God is giving you this opportunity to give. So all we do is for him. Not for us. And then, of course, when none of this happens, you cannot expect a rabbi or a priest or a whatever, imam, to change the entire world. Does that make sense? So I'm trying to put everything together in two, three minutes. Think. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mordecai, some of the things you were describing there uh, reflect on, on um, it's not, we, the fault isn't just in the upper echelon and the shepherds. It's true. They've dropped the ball. But what's also true is so of all is all of us. The, the the Amos is looking at a society where people are just not sharing. They're not uh, uh, being being uh, the image of God anymore. Somewhere along the line, the the truth of Jesus has has has, uh, has, has departed, and it's very sad. And uh, but people want they want the answer, and all of a sudden they can't find it, and that becomes a famine. What a very dark world that is when uh, when that had gotten to. Uh, we're not there yet because you and I are still here, are we not? Mm -hmm. And I believe that if someone came to you and said, tell me the good news, you would do it, right? You would say, yeah, I, I, uh, I know the good news. Grab a cup of coffee, sit down. Uh, you got three days and away we go. So, um, all right, Yvonne, Brazil. Brazil is about to tell us what to do. <laughs> no, I know. I said, <laughs> it's just the same. It's the same thing that that you just mentioned, grab a cup of coffee. It really is investing in people's lives, and it, it really, it, it's 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 a it's a, a you know you you get to know the person. Sometimes we're so worried about their their soul, their soul, but we don't actually establish a relationship with them. And I think the first thing is establishing a relationship with your neighbor, or your fellow coworker, uh, having spending time with them, and then and then asking for the Lord to reveal a time that that they could actually. Um, come you know hear hear from the word um people are people do you know people are, are there's there, there's a lot of sickness in this world and people mm -hmm. really need a solution they want a solution and if we have those tools many times we're really good at saying like um you know the, the world is really bad <laughs> the world is really bad but what are we doing actually to help that so it's really easy for us to analyze the situation or there's a finance oh there's a brother of need but do we actually put ourselves in that and I think if all of us you know we're all here from different countries and if we each in each pocket wherever we're at shining the light excuse me I'm sorry shining the light in each area what a blessing it's just like you know the kingdom of, of God in, in different locations and and but we have to get out there and do it because if we don't then we're to blame, like Marty says. It's it's not yes. just the shepherd, and, and it, it's our calling. You know? And but also, it should be the joy of our salvation. It should be something we really like to do, and um, it really it, it should be something that we actually desire and enjoy. And you know, when someone says, "You know, I'm in a pretty dark place," instead of going, "Wow, oh my gosh, it's actually scary. I better go home before I have to talk to this person." It should be our joy to say, "Wow." Um, I better, I'm, I'm going to come and bring the light. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say right now. But, but you know what? I know that Jesus is sitting on the throne. And I know he's got some words of comfort. And I know that he can make something better. So it's nothing more than our obligation to share the gospel, to share. I mean, it's, it's our, it should be our joy, right? But also the Bible says it's our obligation. We don't do more than our obligation to do that. So it right. should be out of love.
Yeah, absolutely. The, why are we doing what we're doing? And, and uh, it should come from a place of, of love. Okay, Mordecai? No, uh, Yvonne already stole it. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> the, he could make disciples. He says, go make disciples. But I think I, I have to add it again. This is what also, well, uh, I, I am also lacking this in my personal life. So we are teaching, we are talking, we are learning. And then when it comes to applying it to our lifestyles, we are lacking. So especially now the season has opened <laughs> in Jerusalem. Uh, we will have a lot of street preachers coming to save all the entire Jewish nation for two, three weeks. And uh, 90%, I mean, I like it. Great. Good. I hope they have good intention. It's not for fundraising or something. But when you look at them seriously, impatient, immature, like most of them, like when you have something, they freak out. I also freak out. I mean, I don't freak out that much anymore, thank God, but I'm still not there. So I think if we are, if we lack in applying to our lives, then I think we'll be just the heretics. We are just teaching with our lips, but not in our personal lives. Right. Also, if we are a father, I'm not a father, but you are Aaron. If we are a father, if we are just preaching in the church, preaching online and not applying to your family and your son will say, what the heck? Like you're teaching there something in the, at home, you are something. But when you are the same person who teaches and, you know, Baruch or, or Merve or Seh, that's what we say. Blessed is, is who, who says and does. And says and does. Yeah. And also Jesus says, you know, look at the Pharisees. They sit at the uh, chair of Moses. That means he accepts their authority and teaching. Do as they say, but don't do as they do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty much the same today. You know, you see all this uh, televangelists, whatever they call it. That's right. Do what they say, just don't do what they do. Yeah, yeah don't, do, don't buy yourself a private jet or don't give them money to buy a private jet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, very good. It's a uh, yes. It, it at the end of the day, yes. It's always nice to be critical of um, the higher upper echelons and the bishops, and and yes, they deserve it too. Um, but at the as you guys are saying, at the end of the day, we've got to we've got to look at ourselves as well, as the people of God. We can make a change, and we can change ourselves, and we can affect our little bit of the world. And and we're all affecting our little bit of the world is actually quite a lot. Um, and it can be actually quite powerful. Uh, and God can use mustard seeds, so to speak. All right, uh, Teresa from sunny London. Yeah, I think about what Dwight Pryor used to say to us, which was do acts of loving kindness. Mm. And that's always stuck with me because sometimes with the sort of people I mix and sometimes the quick, relatively quick encounters, um, for example, my optician today, um, you can do something kind and that impresses them. And if I can, I try and get in something about me being a Christian or, you know, it being Easter or something. But I, at that point, I can't really go any further than that. But I, I really think that acts of loving kindness, as, as we've been saying, showing it in how you behave all the time. And that's difficult because some of us can be really negative. And what's that saying to other people when we actually have a hope? Um, and I think with, with other Christians, I mean, certainly a lot of Christians I meet do not know the word. And sometimes they're not really interested in the effort it takes to go into the depth of the word. But, you know, you can, I can, I can easily get them a bit enthused by showing my own enthusiasm on studying Hebraic roots and on, you know, Dwight Pryor's Behold the Man, for example. So... I think we can do something, and I certainly, th I've always thought for years, we have to, we have to do it, we have to behave it, we Agreed. can't just learn it, we, we can't just learn it, it has to be apparent that we're different, why is Teresa different, that's what I, I would love people to be saying really, and then Thank linking you. it back to, to me being a, a Christian, now that's a hard call, I'm not saying it's easy, and I don't, I haven't got there, but I do think that's so, so important. Agreed. And, and one, one of the things that you've also almost touched on is, you know, is we, we live it out and we, we show the joy that's, that's uh, in our faith. But at the same time, we also need to show that uh, it can be fun too. Yeah. This, um, there are some young people that have been uh, in our community and they say, um, I don't know about this Christianity thing. It doesn't look like fun, you, no. know? Why, you know. And then 
what we do is we live it out. That is, we believe it, but we also have the joy of our salvation and we show people, actually, this faith is fun. And, uh, and so we, when we want to celebrate Purim, we get together and we laugh and we have fun and we, you know, pardon for all the Baptists, we have a glass of wine and let our hair down and, uh, and we eat chips and other fatty foods and give ourselves type 2 diabetes but um but along the way you know it's uh it's this is not a uh a dead religion it's a, a religion of faith it's a religion of fun it's a religion of family and it's definitely all combined into hope um and so all of that is that actually comes from us it comes from the way we approach our our tradition all right uh scotland scotland is about to speak with an english accent it's just really brief the, the the same the same priest who was talking about sunday opening always says that if you you don't have to do the conversion what you do is you lead them to the lord and he does the rest and um, that freed me a lot because i've always had my own faith and sort of not really talked to people too much about it it's been i've kept it to myself but since I've I've started opening up or just saying things or just being who I am and saying what I'm thinking, I, I, I'll just say one person I know has actually started going, he's going back to church. Another one started to study, going to a study group and has just started to go back to church with her husband. Another one is wearing a crucifix, which is outside. So it's not like it's just a little, it's, it's, it's being it's a statement that I hadn't been preaching. I couldn't do it because I don't know enough. And it's yeah. exactly what you were saying. You just have to be. And it can be infectious. Some of these speakers that have been coming around Christchurch now talk about the Holy Spirit. Now, how did that happen? You know, where they, you know, they've they've it's infectious. Isn't that great, Kate? It's infectious. That's that's what's happening. I love that. Nice. That's a nice thought. Uh, guys, I just want to point something out. We've been uh, talking now for 45 minutes about a chapter which is uh, talking about a community two and a half thousand years ago. So, you know, it's actually the, the message is, is incredibly relevant for us today. We've looked at this chapter and instead we haven't even started going through about its context. We've looked at it in, it, in its present day. And that's good. That's great how the word of God can speak to us and make us look at the way we're, uh, of our lives today, at our world today. And because uh, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So, you know, he's the one with the plumb line. He's the one uh, that can relent due to intercession. He's the one who's coming to, uh, to, to, to judge the world. And he's the one that's prophesied that in the future there'll be a famine for the word of the Lord. So, uh uh, for the next bit, we'll go through the text and then see uh, see a little bit about its its context, but also reflect on on again our world. So uh, the Lord is giving um, Amos a vision of of ripe fruit, which is nice. Yeah, fruit's supposed to be ripe, okay? and um, you know, you'd, you'd be normally thinking this is fantastic, it's beautiful, ready ready for the harvest, and in fact, instead, it's different. The time is ripe for my harvesting, right? Um, it's, and you don't want me to come down and do the harvesting. You should be doing the harvesting because when I come down to do it, then I'm bringing a, a, a judgment that comes with me. And uh, verse 3, there's different translations, um, uh, sort of basically the idea that there is this singing becomes silent. The, the the what people were hoping was worship becomes quiet and uh which is a bit sad and um but why why is all this happening why is god coming down not sparing them because they trample the needy and they oppress the poor and uh, let's ask the question what is true religion and what's the bible verse you want to know the answer to that according to the Bible? Take care of the orphans, the widows, and the needy. Correct. Look after the widows, the orphans, the needy, the poor. 
and the people who can't help themselves. And, um, you know, it's, uh, yes, we, the Bible does have ritual in it. Yeah. Uh, yes, the Bible does have liturgical prayers. Yes, the book of Psalms. But at the end of the day, it's all about a heart, and it's a heart that cares for the poor and the needy. And, um, and so here, here this, you trample on the poor and, and on the needy. Um, and who are these people who are doing it? Well, they're, they're, after, they're after the money. They're ignoring the blessings that God has given through his ritual calendar, such as the Sabbath or new moons. All you want to do is you just want to get away from actually uh, paying lip service to God and just go for uh, uh, cash. And, uh, and unfortunately, that attitude and that desire uh, to make money <laughs> uh, never seems to go away. Um, so on Sunday, that is going to be Palm Sunday. So on Palm Sunday, usually you read the story of the triumphal entry. So depending on which, um, lectionary it is, depending on which gospel it'll be this week, this year, it's Matthew. So that means you're going to get Jesus rides in on a donkey. Fantastic. He's the Messiah. Uh, everyone's going to say Shanda Lamanda you know, put on their palm branches and everything. And then he's going to get into the temple. And what's he going to do in the temple? Whip it, right? Because what does he find? Economic corruption, right? This sort of idea of, they, they, you know, it, uh, it, it, it happened in Amos. It happened in Jesus' day. And unfortunately, it's still with us. And uh, which is rather, rather sad. And um, we've got to get away from that uh a constant desire of uh money and wealth and 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 go to the heart of god which is care for people you know, care especially particularly particularly the poor so um uh, god isn't against wealth he's against dishonesty god isn't against wealth he's against a lack of generosity okay most of god's heroes are wealthy and everyone with wealth should be sharing it and uh and using their money to promote the gospel so uh verse seven i, I found interesting and i couldn't um I, I actually couldn't find much information on it the lord has sworn by himself the pride of jacob that is a very rare designation for himself in fact he's been very he said a few times in in uh, in amos he's he, he called israel isaac that's a very normally a very rare thing to do. And here he calls himself the pride of Jacob. Uh, does anybody have any comments on that? Um, why he would choose that designation for himself? Um, okay, Teresa, you've got an idea. Which verse is it? Sorry. Seven. Verse seven, Moti. The God calls himself the pride of Jacob. You're like, wow, that's a, you know, not the shield of Abraham or the shield of David or you know, <laughs> whatever. The pride of Jacob. Wow, okay. Where'd you get it's that? It's not one? my idea, but it says here in the NI, um, the English Standard Version commentary, it okay. says pride, pride of Jacob could be taken in two different ways. It could be a reference to God himself, or it could be a literal reference to Israel's insupportable pride in its strength and wealth. Ah, okay. So then you're, they're looking at it as a negative way, saying he's actually applying it not to to as a designation of, of God, but to uh, Israel having too much pride. Okay. All right. Um, Janet. Yeah, my commentary says it refers to Amos six eight. Um, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds. Okay. So. Um, yeah, that's that, that was another commentary, and the same one that Teresa said as well. Yep. So it it, it takes it the same as in 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 six as a sort of more negative way. Okay. Because um, there's only one person in the in the Bible who's allowed to be proud. Who's that? God. Uh, in in uh, in one of the Psalms, it says, "I, the Lord, dress myself in pride." Okay. Um, we often translate it as majesty. He obviously started the world and he obviously made everything. So if there's anybody who's allowed to say, this is actually pretty good, okay, it's going to be him, not, not, not us. Um, and unfortunately, 
then we often puff ourselves up uh, with pride. And uh, as they say, cometh before the fall. Um, some of us in the, in the chat and uh, made a mention also of the idea that, uh, and it's actually a very, very rough verse, I will never forget anything they've done, right? You know, um, we as humans, while we say aware sometimes we can't forget, we often do simply because we're humans, but God can't do that. And uh, so when he, when he often reflects on our sin, he says, I choose to remember your sins no more. But uh, here he, he makes a promise. Uh, I will never forget the things that they've done. I don't think that's what the uh, words are actually saying. He's saying, I will not forget them forever. Suggests to me that there is a time when I will remember them. Right now I'm passing over them. Okay. There will be there will be an account at the end if they do not repent. Ah, okay. So it's going to more towards the end times idea. This, in fact, he is is hinted earlier in the passage when he says, I will not pass over the sins anymore. Anymore. It's time it's to a, it's the up. same image of Romans 3, where Paul says that uh, God proves himself to have been right in passing over the sins temporarily. The provision of Christ allows in the sufferings of Christ and in Christ, God passes over human sins for a time and a season until until the full account has to be given in the end. And then it's then it's in. Yep. Nice. Thank you very much, Ari. Yeah? Excellent. All right. Teresa, you've got a comment? Yeah. Um Back to the Pride of Jacob, in another okay. commentary, it says the Targum reads the greatness of Jacob. The greatness of Jacob is that the Lord gave to his, gave mm. to his chosen people his name through Moses at Sinai. The word is gaon, and it's not the typical biblical word for pride as a right. negative quality of human beings. Gaon appears in the book of Jeremiah under Gaon Hayarden, that meaning the swelling or the, or the uh, loftiness or magnificence or the even the power of the Jordan in its full flood stage when God is taunting Jeremiah at one point. So we don't have to read this as pride. And I would suggest, to me, the, the text actually suggests that God is referring to himself He's swearing by himself through this particular phraseology. I am the, uh, the power of Jacob. I'm the powerful one, the lofty one of Jacob. And I'm swearing by myself here, mm -hmm. I think. Could be. Yeah. Is, is the, the positive reflection of pride, is it the word gabe? Gava, gava, is, gava. Is, is used pejoratively throughout the Bible, and it's applied to people. Yeah, Gaon can, can very often be a positive thing, and I think it is here, although it's debatable. Okay. Actually, I want to add something to what Ari said. Uh, actually, I mean, okay, the Messiah said do not swear with anything, but actually swearing in the name of God when it's necessary, it's a positive mitzvah. In fact, if you, it's, it encourages you to do so, but do, you shall not do it. With the name of angels or stars or Shemesh, you know, the sun or something. Of course, God is the supreme power and there's no uh, any power above him. And that's the way he speaks. I agree with him. It's, it's a good, good point. Okay. All right. I think what Arya is also, is also reminding us that the God is swearing by himself. He is doing something that's actually self-reflective. So, all right. Sandra? Uh, yeah, so the, trans the uh, translation I have for Gaon here is exaltation majesty. So we could actually read this as the Lord has sworn by the majesty of Jacob, which I think implies that he's swearing by himself. So, some translations do, some versions of the Bible do translate the word, which does mean pride, but to, to, um, to, to the majestic side, they're taking it in a more positive way, and that's the way that they reflect it. Um, that's that's true. Some some translations do do that. But uh, all right, so the Lord swears by Himself that uh, we're coming towards the end. It's time for a reckoning, and um, and then you get these sort of very um, 
massive changes in cosmology, okay, completely unnatural. That uh, this is not, you are not going to be able to explain this via astronomy or any sort of thing. Um, uh, land, stars, moons, uh, all kinds of things go crazy. And, uh, and it's time for people to uh, start to feel like it's the end. And, um, and then when people go, oh, my gosh, the end is coming. Well, I think I better get right with Jesus finally, you know. And then they start turning around and go, who can actually tell me about Jesus? And they discover that there's no one there, right? They've actually you know, pulled, pulled themselves into a corner by getting rid of all the people who can say the truth. Then suddenly you find there's no one actually to tell you the truth. And uh, isn't that interesting that that's the sort of environment that we're in? We're in a world that just wants to cancel the truth. And if you keep doing that, then eventually when you turn around and say, well, what is the truth? There'll be no one there to tell you. And uh, you'll, have, you'll have gone down the path that we've seen that Pharaoh does. That uh, you know, people went so far down a line that even if they wanted to, they couldn't get themselves out of it anymore. Oh, my gosh, that's a sad way. And so part of our burden, brothers and sisters, is actually to tell people, please don't do that. Please don't go down so far. Please, please. Okay, you're not ready to believe in Jesus yet, but don't kick him out of your life. Don't take him off the wall. Don't burn, don't burn his books. You're going to need this later on um, because uh, uh, you, you don't quite understand what's going to happen um, if you get rid of us all. Uh, the the because they're they're in a famine that's what the verses 11 and 12 are describing they're describing people who are desperate and but it's not there it's just not there and uh they won't find it and um and then the the last couple of verses are quite interesting because i um uh the the i understand that the 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 words of the prophet you know when we're saying things like the sin of samaria or the idols of dan i get that but what's going on in beersheba i mean that's judah i don't know we don't we don't sort of get a lot of prophets uh turning around and um pointing the finger at, at that but there does seem to be a um uh, an implication uh uh, that, that that there is even a bit of of uh, idolatry occurring in the south as well. Beersheba was actually Simeon. Is that Simeon? Simeon. Yeah. Okay. Well, that explains a lot. <laughs> so, if you want to remember who that, what happened to that tribe? Okay, they didn't do so well, and uh, they ended up just with a small territory um, as part of their as their deal. Um, and uh, and so. Yeah, they're part of this, 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 they're not part of uh, Benjamin and Judah. Interesting. All right. Okay. So back to our current day. Uh, these, these texts, as we've been discussing, speak very much alive to us today. So what, what can we do about it, guys? How can we make ourselves better followers of the Messiah and uh, better heroes of God? and better tellers of the truth. All right, a couple of hands raised. We've got Vida or David. Uh, just a quick question before I answer that question. Can I just jump back to verse 12? Yep. Because it says there, and they will run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord. And that just reminds me of Daniel, where it says knowledge will increase and men will run to and fro. So mm -hmm. okay, it, it just seems to be a link there somehow. And, and, and it's also very interesting going back for today, in, in my mind, I think it's, we see this on the internet, on all type of technology, there's such an increase in knowledge, and yet the word of the, the, word of the Lord is what's being cancelled, if that makes sense, from all this yeah. technology. So it's, unless we fill our lives with the word in us, like I'm sure people in Iran, Iraq have to do, that even don't have Bibles, they've got to really try and have the word inside them. So that we can speak the word. Yeah, the increase in knowledge is rampant in our college, in our in our society, and yet we don't seem to know what the truth is. We seem to know more and more and more, except what's actually true. So you know what, what's that phrase? In their wisdom, they have become fools. Yeah. So, but uh, Daniel talks about it here. Talks about it. There, there has to be a a, a link. Um, 
seen in our current day. Um, guys, we got the light. So shine it bright because they, <laughs> man, the world needs it. All right, uh, Teresa, London. Yeah, I think <clears throat> the problem that we see over here certainly is also among Christians who, of course, don't always know the truth. Um, but the other thing is, you know, I, I'm sure you know that there's quite a lot of pressure being put on Christians over here by the government or related bodies. And, and in theory, anyway, you know, you're not allowed to speak the truth now on certain matters. If you do, um, you're, you're putting yourself in quite a dangerous position. So I think one thing we need to do is to pray to have courage courage to stand for the truth I think and that can be really hard in all sorts of ways not just you know the, the ways that we all know about that you know the issues that we know about but on just all sorts of matters we must always hold on to what is true and of course you know there's this idea isn't there that there's no one truth you know that's your truth and that's my truth and that's your truth and so on and that's a killer that that one really is because it it's almost leaves you with no answer. Um, but I still think our behaviour is an important key, but I also feel courage is really, really important. Who, what um, leader of a church has courage to stand up and preach the truth, preach the true gospel? You know, that, that in itself is a big issue, I think. But what yeah. about us as individuals? Have we got the have we got the courage to actually say, well, no, I don't, I don't think that, I don't believe that because, and you know, we can all think, oh, well, we do, but I, I can tell you when you face it, it's really hard. It's really it hard. Is. The, kick, the, kickback you, the, English, the English do have somebody. Uh, he's got an incredible uh, big Afro. Calvin Robinson stood up in um, uh, the government and gave a, uh, a very impassioned defense on the truth. And uh, if, you, if you see any of his, the articles that came out afterwards, he thought he gave a really bad speech. He, 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 yeah, he left, he, left, he left that room going, oh, no, I've let God down. I've done absolutely terrible. And then everybody was like, oh, you were so brave. We're so happy you did that. It's given us so much courage. Um, yeah, so that's a, there are a few. And, there and I think are a few, Aaron, but I agree with you. But it's easy for us then, and I'm not saying you're in that position, but to just say, oh, yes, there are people. But hang on. Yeah. What about me? What about us? What about each person? Because it's easy always to focus everything on others and on somebody else. Oh, the no, church. No, we need to make it about that. us. We need to make it. has we, to be we, about we, us. We have to become better disciples yeah. of Jesus. It's about us. And uh, so I like what you said. Let's pray to have courage to stand for the truth. If anything we're going to do tonight uh, when we leave, let's pray for courage. Uh, we all need it. We're going to need it even more, I think, increasingly. Hi, folks. Yeah, um, yeah. what you were saying reminded me of the verse, um, love, um, love builds up, um, but knowledge puffs up. And we're certainly in a time where there's lots of um, knowledge, um, which, of course, can be well applied and helpful, um, but can have the unfortunate effect of um, building up pride also, um, which is one of the characteristics of um, what people will be like in the last days. Um, yeah, they, they, they will be proud. And this version actually says stuck up as well as rude and disobedient to their parents. So yeah, there's, it's all, it's all fitting together. Nice. Thank you very much. Yeah. A lot of the text has actually coalesced and come together in this, in this chapter, as we're heading towards the end of Amos. Uh, it seems like the whole message is beginning to coalesce. Into a, into a lesson, not just for Israel, who unfortunately ignores it, as we know, um, they do go into exile, um, but actually can still speak to the current, the current generation and to us. So, come to us. So, um, I think. Uh, well, actually, I feel the burden to pray. So, I'm going to to pray uh, for all of us and for myself and for our families that we have the courage to stand up for the truth in love, but also to be bold 
and to be clear, to offer hope to a world that doesn't seem to want to have it and, uh, um, and not to surrender uh, the knowledge of Christ for the knowledge of the world. And um, that the knowledge of Christ is, is knowledge like all other. It's a good thing too. So brothers and sisters, will you pray with me and for each other? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge once again your kingship, your authority. We praise you for your mercy and your compassion. We thank you for Jesus, for the redemption. We bless you for the gift of the Holy Spirit and your word. Uh, we acknowledge our brothers and sisters in, uh, in, 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 this, in this Zoom and those that listen and uh, that we are united uh, as one. And Lord, we unite, Lord, with the call to preach the truth, to bring joy of our salvation, to bring faith where there's, where there's doubt and, and, and hope where there's, uh, where there's hopelessness and light where there, where there is darkness. So we pray, Lord, that you would give each of us, Lord, the courage to be able to declare your truth. But may we declare it humbly in love, with mercy and compassion, not with pride, but with gentleness, but with, Lord, a hope that uh, those that we speak to, you will touch, that you will draw by your spirit to yourself, that your kingdom will expand. So we pray for our children, that you will give them faith, we pray that uh, you will bless our, our husbands and our wives and our parents and our, and our families and that you will unite us uh, as brothers and sisters. But, Lord, you will give each of us, we pray, courage uh, this, this night. That uh, we've heard your roar from Zion, Lord, and, uh, and we want to be salt and light in, uh, to your world that you love so much. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.